You're listening to an exclusive podcast series brought to you by Wired for Wonder, a proud innovation by Combank and The Moment HQ. Prepare yourself as we take you on an eye-opening journey to ignite your curiosity, foster wonderment, and send inspiration bustling through your veins. Hello and welcome to the Wide for Wonder and the Moment HQ podcast. I'm Monica Cade. Joining me today is Dr. Catherine Ball, who is an author, founder, and ethics advocate working across global projects where robotics and new technology meet environmental protection. She is also the CEO of an Australian startup working with the application of remotely piloted aircraft systems, also known as drone technology, across remote communities, schools, industry, and citizen scientists. So let's welcome her now. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Can you please take us back to when you were a child and what is it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Ooh, Oh, I think my very first attempt at wanting to choose a, a career path was definitely ballerina. Um, <laughs> closely followed by astronaut, closely followed by veterinarian, closely <laughs> followed by humanitarian. I mean, one of my earliest memories is the 1984 famine in Ethiopia. And I remember being absolutely um, shocked and horrified by what I was seeing on the, the six o'clock news. Mm. So yeah, I, I want, I am, I then understood that, that the world wasn't equal. And I remember asking my mother a series of very awkward questions about how people could be stuck living like that. Mm. And, uh, yes, yeah, so that was 1984. So it was the year of live aid. So I was born in 79. So I was about five around that time. Mm-hmm. So that for me set in my mind that, that I wanted to do something to, I don't know, make the world a better place without wanting to sound a little bit miss world about it all. Really. It was, um, something that I saw that, you know, the world was bigger than I was. And uh, yeah, I had from a very young age that the world was quite a hard place, mm. which sounds really terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I realized from quite early doors that, um, yeah, that we were very, very lucky where I was being brought up in the Midlands in England. We had, you know, safety, security and food and, you know, nice, friendly, happy, happy upbringing. And I, and I, I look back at my childhood with very fond memories, mm. uh, a sense of freedom and a sense of love which was just yeah it's just wonderful going from you know those choices that you wanted to be what did you naturally move towards in high school like what direction did you want to go in then as you got older yeah so when I was at school I actually um I love geography I, I love the idea of processes and patterns and I love planet earth and, and I love mother nature and like I say all the time you know David Attenborough was my third parent I mean he is an absolute national treasure international treasure we need to clone him immediately <laughs> you know um and uh, you know, the world would be my world would be a very different place uh, without David Attenborough. It has to be said. So I mean, I remember my thirteenth birthday. I got a subscription to Greenpeace. My aunt was one of the very first founding members of Greenpeace, Amazing. which is random. Yeah, and then uh, the BBC Wildlife magazine was my subscription was my fourteenth birthday present. Mm-hmm. Um, I was voted person most likely to be prime minister when I was at school. And I look back now and I think, oh, you were aiming far too low by putting me in that category. <laughs> oh, I achieved so much more. Um, and, um, yeah, then I, I, I really like geography. And I got the highest mark in my state, my county, for geography at GCSE when I was 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had this – I had a real problem in that I was really good at languages. I was really good at French and German. And I actually spoke German with a French accent, my languages were that solid. And I was looking at 
going into <laughs> European law. That really is quite a good decision I didn't make when we look at what's just happened with the Brexit vote, that I didn't go into <laughs> European law. Um, but then the other love of my life was science, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I originally wanted to do medicine because, you know, I come from quite humble beginnings, and I had this idea that to be taken seriously, you needed to have a serious academic qualification and to um, lift myself um, you know, to rise through the the the, um, the, the, the rankings socially, I, you know, and in terms of income, I needed to go to university and get a serious qualification. And so I thought medicine would be the answer. I went to Africa on my gap year when I was just 18 real, and um, realized that medicine really wasn't the path that I could really throw my heart and brain out. I decided to go back to my love of environmental science. And so environmental protection was the degree course that I chose um, for my my first degree. Yeah. So I, my goodness me, it was like a, you know, that that graph that you see or that that picture that you see that says success, it's supposed to look like this. And it's straight from point A to point B. But success, what it really looks like is like this pile of spaghetti. And my, my life decisions have been very much half based on chance, but half based on just choosing what I actually wanted to go for with my gut. And I look back now and I know that medicine would have been the wrong choice for me. Though every now and then I think, oh, if I won the lottery today, would I study it tomorrow? And you know what? Possibly I might. Mm. Um, I'd probably much more likely, you know, set up a successful company and provide some scholarships for other people to get to university now rather than me go back and walk through a different door. Um, I feel like I'm interacting a bit with with medics and stuff now anyway through the robotics section, uh, you know, of my work anyway. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, Kirk Carlson, when he came over to Queensland this year, once said, um, you know, life is a series of one-way doors. And once you go through a door, you can't go back through it. Mm. Uh, it was either him or Steve Wozniak. I can't remember. It was at the Advanced Queensland um, Innovation Summit. And so for me, I look back now and I think, yeah, some of those doors are swing doors. And you can always go back through them if you want to. But you have to ask yourself, why would you really want to loop back when you can actually just keep going forwards? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if that really answers that question. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I fell on, I fell onto environmental science, and then just, yeah, just stayed with it because I loved it. Did you ever feel going through your, you know, through your teens and then into your twenties as you were like working out what you wanted to do? Did you ever feel a sense of pressure in having to know what it is that you actually wanted to do? Yes. I mean, I think my overwhelming drive was for me to actually get to university and do something and and actually leave my hometown. And and I look back at my hometown with very fond memories and I've got some great friends there, but I just knew that that was not for me. It, Mm -hmm. that was not the end for me. That was the start for me. That wasn't the start, the middle and the end for me. And so I just knew that I needed to get out and get moving. And so travel actually is probably one of the first things that I knew I definitely had to do and I was desperate to do. Um, and once I started traveling, I couldn't get enough of it. But when I say traveling, I don't mean just going and grabbing a backpack and hitchhiking around India, which is great for some. You know, I was actually going and working at universities or actually working with orphans and vulnerable children or actually working on projects, working with the British Council, teaching English or doing something that actually had a tangible skill set for me to learn from it just as much as the the people that I was working with to do. So I, I then, you know, I worked two jobs throughout my studies to save up money so I could go away for the six weeks over the summer period to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just never felt like I could travel enough. Mm, that's I awesome. Never, I was never one of these people that cared about going to Glastonbury and spending all summer getting smashed at concerts. You know, I, it just never was me. I, I just felt like the world was much too big and beautiful a place for me to sit there 
on home turf all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think travel opens up the mind and you, you know, get to know yourself. I think that's one of the biggest things. The more you travel, you seem to learn more about yourself and then you work out things that you like and you don't like and, and you find new things that maybe you would never have known existed if you haven't taken that trip. Oh yeah, hitchhiking through Mozambique, I never thought I'd ever do. I mean, you've got to remember, this is time before mobile phones. I remember calling my mum in Zimbabwe and saying, look, mum, we're going to hitchhike down through to Mozambique for my birthday, my 20th birthday. And then we'll get come back. So if you don't hear from me in 10 days, then there's a problem and these are the numbers, blah, blah, blah. But I will call you as soon as I get back into Zimbabwe or I'll call you if I can get to a phone in Mozambique and just let you know where I am. This yeah. is, you know, pre-internet or when the internet was very rudimentary and there were no such things as internet cafes when you were traveling. And I literally did. We got the train down to the border. I'll never forget it. Randomly, even trying to get our visas for Mozambique was hilarious. Went into the embassy in Zambia and they were like, no, you've got to apply for it in your own home country. And and luckily the woman I was traveling with was from Finland and she was like, but we don't have a Mozambican embassy in Finland. So where am I supposed to get my visa from? So we had to basically avoid some corruption. He wanted cash. We had to, and just to get, negotiate our visas to enter the country. I mean, honestly, I, sh- I should really write a book. Well, I've already just written a book. Maybe I should write a book about some of my travel stories. But yeah, yeah. hitchhiking and, and it's actually lots of Australians in Africa that are really good fun that I owe a lot to in terms of sitting in the backs of their trucks and uh, driving for them when they wanted to sleep and sharing beers and having a good time with. I met a lot of really cool Australians um, through Africa, actually, which is um, yeah, great memories. Yeah, you sound like you have some wonderful stories there. I'm sure there are many more. (laughs) Many. Maybe not for this particular conversation. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Now, you have this uh, little philosophy where you say eyes forward as Mm. the present and the future are things to be focused on. And the past is a foreign country in the sense that we don't live there anymore. And you Mm. touched on that with the analogy before of the swinging doors, you know, and going through the doors. How Mm. do you approach the challenges that come at you, what do you do to get yourself to keep going forward? It's a really good question. And you know what? Sometimes I don't know. I I, I look back at my PhD, for example, um, and I just really don't know how I got through my PhD, except every morning I got up out of bed and every night I went back to bed and got some sleep. And it almost becomes like sometimes when the pressure is really on and, and you're really feeling it, or if you're in a very dark place, you literally just have to think about the next 10 minutes. You can't even think about the next few hours um, because it's just so overwhelming. I think uh, your friends and your network are the things that that save you at that point. Your network is your net worth, as I always say. And um, the people that surround you and the people you surround yourself with will actually help shape how successful or not successful you are in your endeavors because they're the people that will say, oh, yeah, give it up, or the ones that go, nope, come on, keep going. Um, and, and sometimes you just need to allow other people to, um, to have that role and letting go of control and letting other people help you is an incredibly difficult thing. I think, especially for entrepreneurs and people that are solopreneurs and trying to work their own business, reaching out and asking for help can be an incredibly embarrassing thing, but you know what, it's what we're all here for. We're social animals. Um, I've got a great expression that I, I use every now and then, which is literally mirror signal maneuver. So check back as to where you've been or check back as to how things are signal what you're going to do, verbalize it, tell people, talk about it, and Mm. then just do it. And then just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And again, go ahead. Oh, so I was was going to say in terms of business, we're living in the best country to do that. For example, it took, it takes me a day to set up a business effectively when I need, when I need, when I know what I'm doing and I've got the model and I've got the cash flow idea and I've got the thing to go. We don't have to wait six months or three months or a year to get a business started. We're in a country that is very, very easy to actually 
enact our dreams uh, in terms of business. It's so true. It's so easy to get caught up in, in your mind and things like that. But when you just break it down and you, like you said, you just mirror and then you take action on it and then move forward, you know, it's so many, it opens up the opportunities again, because you never know what opportunity is going to come from you taking that step. Absolutely. The only piece of advice I'd give is just every now and then when your email inbox looks too big, start making phone calls because emails just make more emails. I swear my my email inbox has become self-aware like Terminator. Yeah, it's (laughs) self-aware. I think I've got a fire alarm warning coming over, by the way. Okay. (laughs) There's a large alarm goes off. Just like there's a man talking in my room. Okay, I haven't got completely (laughs) insane. Someone is saying there might be an evacuation something. Five to ten minute warning. There you go. Sorry about that. Right in the middle of our chat. That's all right. <laughs> I know. And there you go. Life throws things at you that you would never expect. A random man can start talking in your living room that you don't even know he <laughs> If so that funny. happens, you can call for advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Life throws things at you. And I think that sometimes actually the energy that you put out or the way you actually talk about wanting to do things and the way you plan to do things, just by even saying you're wanting to do it or by, by starting to do it, you actually cause it to happen. Like yeah. there's this huge cause and effect thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes you just have to start doing it. I saw this thing the other day, a entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. And entrepreneurs just talk about all the things they're going to be doing. And an entrepreneur just does the things that they're talking about doing or even thinking about doing. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Okay, so tell me uh, before the big siren goes off. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> about it. <laughs> tell me, do you believe that technology, using technology, we can improve our environment? I think that without technology, there's no way we can really understand our environment, to be frank. I think that um, until we can actually fully, and even then I say this with, a, with an asterisk next to it, because I don't know how fully, fully we ever might be able to understand it. We are just human brains after all. It may be that artificial intelligence is the thing that we need to actually help us fully, fully understand it, because sometimes you need to actually be outside of the system to see the system, and we live on the planet. So, I mean, there's only so much we're going to be able to see from our own perspective. But until we can actually fully recognize the value of what we have, then it's very difficult to protect it. And um, economics is a huge, you know, environmental economics is a huge new area of study. It's been going for a while, but it's finally being recognized in legislation. Water Framework Directive that came out a few years ago in Europe was the first piece of environmental legislation that actually had economic values attached to it. And these things like benefits transfer values, how do you put a benefit transfer value, a, a dollar value on Mother Nature well, there's been David Suzuki's work looking at, you know, actually the, the fact that the environment actually performs literally trillions of dollars of service for us. It cleans our air. It provides us with clean water. How can you put a, a dollar figure on that? You know, part of me would like to say you shouldn't have to put a dollar figure on it. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, the way we're going now at the moment, it seems like we actually need to start putting values on things in order to protect them. So you can't just say, oh, it's priceless because in global capitalist terms what does priceless actually mean and so i think that environmental science and i think that the ability to map and model and record and value um, ecologically and financially our assets on this planet is the only way to protect them and i include antarctica in this there's a lot of international interest now i mean australia has a large area in antarctica we are not putting enough funding in it we're likely to lose some of that land to other sovereign nations 
there other nations are going in there doing a lot of exploration. The moratorium on exploration and drilling, for example, in Antarctica will go in about 20 or 30 years. So this is our generation and our children's generation problem. We need to start valuing these systems. And one of the only ways we can value them is by understanding them and then actually allowing ourselves to see the real value, both um, you know, from a from a human and moral and ethical perspective, and also a financial one. And I hate to even talk about that, but it really it really does come down to it, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. And I think education is such a huge part of that. You know, without that education and awareness around these things happening, we're just going to be oblivious to it, and then look back later on and go, "Oh, why didn't we do something about it earlier?" Mm, exactly right. Mm. And isn't hindsight twenty twenty? But isn't it also the most painful thing? Oh gosh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and I've been so I've been upset about Aleppo. I've been literally crying nearly every day about Aleppo. And I remember Srebrenica, and I remember what happened in the Balkans. And we just really have not made any progress internationally in preventing these kinds of atrocities. And I sit there and I'm like, this is like you know, into the Hanway in Rwanda in 1994. It was done with machetes. Today, it's happening with barrel bombs and chlorine. It's like we need to really learn from our lessons of our past. And that includes in science and that includes in, you know, um, global economics, just as much as it does in terms of peace and being humans and looking after each other. Yeah. Mm. Sorry to go a bit dark there. but No, not at all. These things are very, very current and they're very, very necessary to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And before we wrap up, we've got some signature questions for you. Okay. So tell me, what do you believe is your greatest asset? My greatest asset, I think, is my friends and family. And what are you afraid of? Um, unfulfilled potential, but with, uh, with, with an asterisk attached to that as well, in that I'm not insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I'm, I'm afraid of actually, do you know what? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I'm afraid of things, I don't know, things not re- people not reaching their full potential. I, I hate to see people that get trapped and aren't able to do the things that they want to do. And, and that's a big fear for me is being trapped in something and then not having control about how to get out of it. Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard a few people that I've asked that question to say similar things or, you know, variations of that, of not living out our potential. And I think that that must somewhat be a very innate thing within most of us. Mm. We have that desire to, you know, grow and become and to exceed those limitations of our mind. But yes, sometimes, you know, it is easy to get trapped in those things. Mm. Yeah. And tell me, what's the greatest piece of wisdom that you've been given? Oh, well, this is where I either have to quote my mother or Yoda, isn't it, really? So, <laughs> yep. <clears throat> well, what I actually wrote in my PhD thesis, which I did dedicate to my mom, I actually wrote in there, you know, do or do not, there is no try, mm-hmm. um, which is a Yoda quote from mm-hmm. Star Wars. And yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. But my mom has this great piece of wisdom where she just says to me, see him off, Kath, see him off. Um, and it's just this idea that fear is a construct inside your head. Yeah. You know, fear is something that we create. Fear is a, a baby that we give birth to. Fear isn't something that happens to us from someone else. And so feeling the fear and doing it anyway, feeling that fear and using it as fuel, that, that for me from my mom, just see him off. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, that, yeah. yeah. Very powerful. <laughs> very powerful. Oh, mums, they've got the best stuff, don't they? Mums <laughs> are so cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our interview. Thank you again for chatting with us. Thank you. And I'm really glad the evacuation alarm didn't kick in right before it finished as well. So I'm sorry about that random man talking in my <laughs> living room. <laughs> totally fine. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Been a real joy. Cheers. Bye.